You're listening to Just Ask Ing, a conversation about human sexuality and how to approach it with intelligence, understanding, and compassion. Hi, this is Stephen Ng, and I'm with my friend Jackie, and we are continuing in a series of conversations about human sexuality, and that spans the uh, the range of what's going on in the movies, what's happening in the books you're reading, the magazine and newspaper articles that are delivered to your door or that you're reading online, and, and it also includes our relationships, our religions, and all the rest. So uh, thanks for joining us. I got to ask you, did you see John Oliver this last week? See, I was hoping you would ask because I want to talk about John Oliver, not just because I think he's sexy. <laughs> I love it when women think skinny guys are sexy. That's, <laughs> that's really good for me. So, yeah, what did you, you did see it. I saw it, his his uh, feature on Mike Pence and yes. the uh, focus on the family, James Dobson. That's the part that I was mostly interested in. I uh I don't, I don't think I want to talk so much about the political side as much as I, I wanted to talk about the, um, the fact that Mike Pence thinks of James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, as a, a close friend. And a mentor. And a mentor. And, Which um, is terrifying. Well, it's, it's particularly unsettling in terms of sexuality because... If you're a rational human who's informed about human sexuality, you know that human sexuality falls on a continuum and that none of us are exactly like the rest of us and that within the range of normal, there's a certain percentage of the population that is always going to be born gay and another percentage of the population that's always going to be trans and and all the rest of us, including those of us who like uh, having our bottom spanked. I mean, we're, the, some of this is going to be, we're not going to talk about Trump, <laughs> <laughs> but all of this is within the range of normal. And some of it's learned, but a lot of it is also genetic. And the reason we're talking about this now. Is because um, when Dobson founded Focus on the Family about 40 years ago, a big part of his family message was that Parents of gay children need to embrace the concept known as pray the gay away Ugh. because homosexuality is a sin and and really um, a bad one, one that will keep you out of heaven. And that we need to um, do things like support our kids, send our kids to uh, pray the gay away camp, and we need to, if necessary, cast out the demon of gayness. My my best and all the rest. my best friend one of my best friends in college um, was gay, and um, his mom was so excited when when we started hanging out and he brought me home because she thought I was going to cure him, and um, instead, which obviously I have no intention of doing that. You withheld that ministry from him. I did, I oh. did, um, but she insisted in and <laughs> uh, meetings with the with the priest and church and he finally um, and he he was my first you know, gay best friend. I've had many since. Um, she chased him away. He, he ended up leaving us both and moving to LA and he died five years later um, because she couldn't accept who he was. Well, you know, we, we tend to minimize the impact of that kind of lack of acceptance, um, that kind of ignorance, but it's horrifying. 
the impact that it has on children. It's so devastating. It's so hurtful. And I know not all kids are the same and that some kids are not so sensitive. But for the adults I interview who had the same experience from their parents, including being disowned by their parents because the day they came out was the day, last day they could be in I that family. I can't even imagine. It was, it's been devastating, and it's been something, not an insufferable blow for most of them, but certainly a defining blow, a blow that really had them rethinking their whole notions of family, who is my family, what is family all about. Because when the choice is I can please my family and gain some sort of approval or I can embrace the truth about myself and ultimately have a chance of getting true acceptance. The only winning idea that's truly sustainable is going for authenticity and acceptance. I was talking to some of my friends about this the other day and and when our kids are born, when we're pregnant and people say, do you want a boy or a girl? And you say, I don't care as long as you're healthy. Right. And then the child is born and they say, what do you want them to do? And you say, I don't care as long as they're happy. Right. We I I mean, I feel like as a mother, obviously, I'm only speaking for myself here, but that our goal is to make them be the best they that they can be. Right. To be to be a strong person in their own right of what they are. Yeah. Well, if you love somebody that you want what is good for them and you celebrate it when they have good things happening in their lives. I think that part of the problem has been we've so stigmatized any kind of sexual difference as a deviance, and therefore it's to be condemned, ridiculed, pro- persecuted, and all the rest of it. So we're, there's some fear there, but a lot of it is really self-imposed fear based on, on embracing ignorant, willful ignorance, really. So when we're talking, for me, I have to tell you, though, we're not even getting close to the topic I want to talk okay, about. Okay, talk about your topic. Because I want to talk about how James Dobson, who is really a scientist, I mean, he's a medical doctor, and what's really crazy about this is that he promotes and has for many decades, he has promoted conversion therapy, and that is my profession and the science on that is really clear. And he, and he has misinformed his listeners. He has refused to reconsider whether he might be wrong. And instead, he started off with the truth, his understanding of the biblical revelation of what people are supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be living. And then he worked backwards looking for the evidence to support his point of view. So which is exactly the way if you wanted to get bias confirmation, you couldn't do it any better than that. And that's not what scientists are supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is take a look at the data and then go from there. And the data would indicate even, and forgive me if this is a disturbing idea, but it's just a thought experiment. I'm not suggesting it. But even if we had been able to exterminate all gay people. So they couldn't influence young people. They couldn't reproduce. They couldn't do anything. Uh, And we started off with a population that was 100% heterosexual. The very next generation would produce exactly the same percentage of gay people. That's just a scientific fact. There's no way around that fact. So that means within every large population, there will be diversity. And instead of embracing that and working with it and adapting to the facts as they are, what Dobson and Focus on the Family have been doing 
is consistently resisting reality. And this has hurt thousands upon thousands of people so, and promoted ignorance in millions. So what is conversion therapy? Oh, well, silly me, I thought everybody knew. Conversion therapy isn't converting you from your filthy paganism to my beautiful Christianity. Conversion therapy is converting you from a homosexual orientation to a heterosexual one, which is really funny because fundamentalists have not been known for how much they enjoy sex. So why you would change from <laughs> the one to the other, it's like, why would you even bother doing that? But that's, that's the idea. And they have used all of the tools of behavior modification to try to get there and all of the tools of Jewish and Catholic mothers around the world to guilt trip the kids into changing their minds. But none of it is effective. It doesn't really work. But like, what do they do? Or do oh. um, or am I going to be completely disturbed by this? Well, there's all kinds of things that they do. For for mostly though, what they do is persuasively stigmatize children uh, who are gay or who have gay thoughts over and over and over again, and to believe that being that whatever your sexual orientation is, it's a choice, and you can choose to not be gay. So since it's a choice and then it's a function of the cognitive functioning in your mind, your thinking process, you just have to think more clearly. So we're going to persuade you that, yes, God says it's wrong, so you know it's wrong, right? And then go from there to, well, what can we do to make this better? It's as if you have a bad habit, like picking your nose in public or something. And we're just going to help you get away from that by mostly the technique is called repression. And that sort of uh, technique just sim simply does not work. Well, I was going to say, it seems like the, and again, I'm, I'm using the word easy um, the wrong way. Um, the easiest thing to do for the child would be to say, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm not gay anymore. Yeah. Right? To make it stop. And eventually that's what a lot of them do because they're very naturally and understandably in need of acceptance and they want to get away from all this other stuff. Now, there have been plenty of scandals as well because sometimes... It's the gay man who's in charge of teaching kids how to not be gay. And then there, there are love affairs that take place in the context of these arrangements. Well, you have, you have a... So there's always that. If you've got a bunch of um, adolescent boys who think they're gay and putting them in a room together. Right. Or at a camp together. <laughs> or at a camp together, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might get an opposite... Um, the results that you're looking for. Well, yeah, camp is, is where you go for that. It, you know, even heterosexuals go to camp hoping that they're going to get lucky and meet somebody they really find attractive. So, so and yeah. I think, I, I mean, obviously I've, I've known about conversion therapy for a long time and I've, I've not done detailed research on it because it's so disturbing. Um, I'm just trying to think of the long-term effects on these kids. Oh, well, just imagine being going along in your normal development and dealing with your parents guilt tripping you until, oh, now we're pathologizing you. We're saying that you and your sexuality, you're a disease. You homosexuals are a plague upon the land. And that, and we're taking you in for treatment out of our abundant mercy and our kindness. Because we love you, we want to, in effect, destroy this part of you. And imagine somebody doing that to your or my sexuality, that somebody trying to condition us out of our heterosexuality. 
and all the te techniques that get used, I mean, just talk therapy for one, and then even for some people, it's um, aversion therapy where they actually take capsules of, you know, smelly stuff like smelling salts. And if you have a gay thought, you're supposed to break the capsule and then inhale it. Uh. And that's supposed to be so unpleasant that you learn to associate pain with your own sexuality. Uh, it's a lot, if you think about it, like um, the original movie Handmaid's Tale, where one of the gals is caught breaking the rules of the handmaids and she's actually masturbating. And then she's uh, punished by having her hands put in scalding hot water. And then she comes to breakfast the next day with her hands all bandaged up. And she becomes, what, a crazed fanatic by the, by the end? So when we attack a person at the sexual level, we're attacking the most intimate, the most vulnerable part of who they are. Well, and I have to think that if you are, if you are having some kind of an association, negative association with homosexuality, if that's what you are, then, then that would be all of your sexuality. Right? Well, yeah, right. Wouldn't it affect, I mean, it would be difficult. I mean, it would already probably be unpleasant, I'm guessing, for a homosexual person to have sex with a, have heterosexual sex, which is what they're asking them to do. Um, but mm, not exactly. Well, at some point, I mean, at some point they want them to marry a woman and have babies. Yeah, at and some point they want them to enjoy, especially if it's a boy, they want the boy to enjoy vaginas instead of anything else. And for the girl, they want her to start wanting to be with uh, someone who has a penis as opposed to the alternative. So yeah, there's that, but eesh. You know, I mean, if you don't like that, you don't like that. Now, some people out there are truly bisexual and, and they enjoy sex with both genders. And there are other people who've tried sex with the opposite sex. And it was okay, but not really what they're into. So so conversion therapy has been outlawed in a lot of states. It's been outlawed in a number of states. And it's been condemned by all scientific organizations, including the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association. So conversion therapy isn't a thing. And yet, Focus on the Family continues to promote it. Because the alternative would be admitting that they were wrong and that means they were wrong in their understanding of the Bible. And that means, well, so are all the other fundamentalist extremists wrong in their understanding of the Bible. And that they would need to change. And that's absolutely impossible. So in this case, religion becomes a sort of Procrustean bed, if you remember your Greek mythology, where everybody has to, there's only one bed and only one size, and everybody has to fit it. And if you're too long for the bed, then we're going to chop off some of your uh, legs, and and if you're too short, then we're going to put you on the rack. But everybody, by God, is going to fit this bed. Everybody is going to be a heterosexual and, and be normal. And that's really not the way human sexuality works, because even with us heteros, there's so much diversity that you really can't say any two men are just alike. You just gave me a really good segue. <laughs> to? Uh, sex addiction. <clears throat> you know... I don't even know if we needed a segue to talk about sex addiction because it's really the same darn thing. It's an, it, there's this anti-intellectualism in American life that has anti-science uh, at its core, and it's it's anti-reason. And so when we start talking about something like sex addiction, 
It's another example of a pop pathological uh, view of s human sexuality when really that's not a thing. So Wait, sex, ad sex addiction is not a thing. Sex addiction is not a thing. Sex addiction therapy is a scam and sex addiction therapy simply does not work. And instead, we, we know that there's such a thing as compulsive behaviors like compulsive gambling or compulsive hand washing like we see in that movie As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson. But we would never say Jack Nicholson's character in the movie As Good As It Gets has a soap addiction. He has a compulsive behavior that's around soap, also one around door locks, another one around stepping on cracks on the sidewalk. But we would not say he's addicted to any of these things. But when it comes to sex, again, I have to say, I think primarily it's fundamentalists who've embraced this model and sold America on it to the degree that America has been sold on it. But we all raise our eyebrows in disdain and, and really incredulity when we hear about somebody like Harvey Weinstein has entered therapy for his sex addiction and so has Tiger Woods and so has Charlie Sheen and so has all these other it's like the first step toward repentance and very much like kings who used to have to crawl on their knees before the Pope in order to get forgiveness uh, because they had resisted the Pope's uh, uh, guidance in some political affair so when we when we see these movie stars and other high profile celebrities going into treatment like this, they're not really doing a thing. They're really it's like they're going into church and getting on their knees and praying. It's a little bit like Mike Pence saying he's going to go home and pray about something when John Oliver brought up the rather obvious, well, gee, isn't that something you can do from the office? <laughs> <laughs> so so and the reason obviously Harvey Weinstein it wasn't the and and we don't even know like if he does like sex. Um, I mean, but it's not that that's the problem. Like if somebody just really really likes sex, they can have sex. They can have sex. I mean, if they're obviously in, in a um, consensual relationship with an adult who also really really likes sex, the problem, like with Harvey Weinstein, is is when he starts um, demanding it, taking it, taking things that aren't his. Well, there's so many different variations. Some of it is just sexual harassment, and it's about power and control. But some of it is actually about some other pathology, like compulsive behaviors. And some of it is about personality disorders, some of this, you know, incredibly promiscuous, dangerous kinds of sexual activity. Human beings are fairly complicated and, it, and our sexual behaviors are fairly complicated. In some ways we're simple and I, I appreciate the simplicity. I like to think of myself as being simple, but in other ways we are very complicated and we cannot just say that everybody who acts in a certain way has got an addiction to sex because then we make sex into the substance that we need to all be going uh, uh, abstinent from and we need to be really careful about that i don't think that it's the problem that sex is really the problem so if if and asking for a friend if you get accused of, of having a sex addiction like say by a spouse um <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend. Because you're single and you don't have a spouse. Okay. Exactly. Um, so what's the response to that? Well, um, I, I suppose if, if I didn't want a divorce, I probably might ask, well, tell me what you mean by that. 
and I might even consider going to therapy. But if a therapist told me, I would do a pre-interview over the phone with any therapist. If any therapist told me, yes, they treat sex addiction, I'd hang up the phone and keep calling around until I found somebody who is a little more science-based because they don't teach that in school. That's strictly a marketing ploy that people take on because it conforms to their religious views. So what you might need to do instead is, and maybe it's it's marriage therapy on that you're incompatible, you have incompatible sexual desire. It could be that he's a very normal guy or she is who's who just got a stronger sexual appetite and wants sex five times a week. Oh my God. And the other person only wants sex once a week. So of course, the one seems sexually addicted while the other one seems sexually frigid or repressed. And, you know, in this regard, honestly, everybody should maybe look up Stephen Ng at, on YouTube so they can see my TEDx talk on what's your magic sex number because I explained that in there. There's a lot going on and getting, being able to have a conversation about sex uh, is going to require us all of us to become a lot more informed. And I know you like to know, well, what can I do today? Well, I'm guessing <laughs> one of the things I can do today is to use the right words. Right. And dropping the word addiction is important there because that is not the pathology. If there even is any pathology, we could be normal people who are simply different, very different, too different to have a relationship. Right. Or one of us or both of us might be very ill, but I assure you not with something called sex addiction. Okay. So now at the dinner table tonight, I can say, <laughs> what did I learn today? <laughs> so sex addiction is not a thing. Um, so thank you very much, Stephen. This was informative as usual. And um, we'll talk to you again soon. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Just Asking. If you have questions for Stephen, please tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT.